Hello and welcome to the 140th episode of The Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made their start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Race for the Galaxy by Temple Gates Games. Teresa and Keldon, who are you and what do you do? Um, I, I can go. I'm, yeah. I'm Teresa Derringer and I am a designer over at Temple Gates Games. So we're working on the digital version of Race for the Galaxy, which is our favorite, favorite board game. Um, and it's going to be coming out for uh, the iPhone and iPad and Android devices. Yeah, and I'm uh, Keldon Jones. I uh, wrote the AI portion of the uh, of the game. Uh, I actually did that several years back, um, and then uh, Templegate has has uh, decided to use that in their implementation. Uh, I don't actually work for Templegate, but I, so I'm kind of a hired gun. Okay. Um, cool. Yeah. I mean, Teresa's been on before, it's, uh, so she's a bit of a veteran. So welcome back, Teresa. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so she's already answered this question before, but you know we can we can expand on it and, and Kelton maybe expand on it. But how did you make your start in, in the realm of video games, Kelton? I mean, obviously you worked on them, on them before, I assume. What was your first foray into 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 them? Um, well, I, I mean, how far back should I go? I That's a very good question. That, but, We've had people come yeah. on going. Well, when I was a fetus, um, I, you know, I. <laughs> I have right. my, I have my, you know, my mother play, you know, sounds of uh, her loading a Commodore sixty four game into a computer, but you know, you can go as young as you like. I mean, what I love to yeah. hear about is, you know, my first ever game was this, even when I was like, you know, sixteen or something. That's great because that gives you an idea of where did you come from and how did you get mates. What what piqued your interest into doing such a very strange thing? Quite frankly, sure. Yeah. So I mean, I guess. I mean, I, I only have Vegas memories of this because I was you know five or six at the time. There but you uh, yeah. you know, we had a we had an Atari eight hundred um, computer. I guess uh-huh. pretty similar to a Commodore, right? Yeah. And um, you know, we had some some commercial games for, it, but um, my dad also had a subscription to you know magazines, and they'd come with you know program listings that you know you type in by hand. So you know, I wanted to play these games that you know they had the pictures on them, so I. would You'll sit there for know, hours a day, however long it took, typing them in, you know. So hunting and pecking is how I learned to type and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, learned basic basically by, you know, starting to slowly realize what, you know, the stuff I was typing in was starting to do. Um, yeah, you just you know, sort of detect the logic to it, like do this, define this. If that does that, then do this. Right, if it doesn't right. do that, do this. And then make that yeah. blue, by the way. And then, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, you know, emit this sound and then move this thing over to there. It's, yeah, it's, it's as much as people um, dog on basic as a language, which isn't that great. It, it's a fantastic sort of um, foundation to build off of, in my opinion. Sure, yeah, yeah. I haven't used it for years. But, uh, no. yeah, and of course, since I was, you know, a kid and really impatient, I would... I would actually, instead of just typing it in, you know, from the start to the begin, you know, to the end, I would, uh, you know, go until there was a, a go-to or, you know, so the line, and then I will start typing in that stuff so that I could, you know, run the program before it's finished and kind of see, you know, okay, you know, this is the initialization stuff. Okay, now we're starting the, you know, this loop. And so, you know, I would, you know, the code for, you know, ending the game or whatever might be somewhere in the middle, but I'd always do that part last because, you know, that 
that's the way the program flow went. So, uh, you know, that, that also helped, I guess, you know, learn the, the structure of the, of the program, but, uh, that's, that's impressive. Anyway, I, <clears throat> I never did that myself. I just followed the. Well, yeah, it was more just because I was like, you know, yeah, I don't want to get to this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, this code's not gonna not gonna run for a while. Let's get to the stuff there that's actually trying to work. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was, th- you know, throughout my childhood, I guess, uh, to that kind of stuff. And okay, you know, and you could also change the programs. You know, you know, you find out. Oh, okay, there's where my I have three lives. Let's make that you know a hundred because yeah, I was <laughs> a kid, of course. Right, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. real kind of simple you know you know modifications i guess yeah and um yeah so then uh i mean through high school and college i took you know various computer science okay classes got degrees and then uh you know then moved into kind of the boring world of uh you know software engineering i i didn't really do video games as a profession um you know pretty much well ever really until this i worked on you know worked at hewlett packard for doing you know their you know testing of their high-end unix systems and uh, stuff like that. and then later linux stuff for telecom customers so you know okay. not uh not really game related but certainly still software yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but i did stuff like um you know the the race ai did that you know just kind of you know in my spare time at home um and clearly, always, you were a fan of the original game, so you were trying to, like, well, what? How would an uh, uh, how would you simulate a computer doing the decisions of a deceitful human being? <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. From the, I, I think I'd only played the game once, and I decided then, you know, okay, I've got to, I've got to do this. Um, it wasn't the first, you know, board game AI that I had done. Um, okay. I'd done, I'd done one um, that was been released to the public for uh, Blue Moon, which it's recently been re-released as Blue Moon Legends, I think. Um, it's kind of a, it's not really a CCG. It's, um, you know, it has a set pool of cards, but it, it's kind of CCG-like. Um, okay, okay. Uh, you know, and then I'd done others that have, you know, never seen the light of day. You know, maybe I did an AI, but no user interface, so, you know, people can't play against it, but, you know, it was still interesting to me. But probably not to anybody else. Um, so yeah, then. Uh, but yeah, so race was probably you know the third or fourth, fifth game that I'd spent any, any time on. So, hmm. but yeah, all that was done. Uh, you know, spare time. Uh, I'm not really. A, I wouldn't say I'm a video game professional um, since you know I've really gotten paid for it. But uh, you know, more of a hobbyist. Okay. Um, Teresa, do you want to go through your stuff, or do you just do you want to listen and go? Well, just listen to the Cannon Brawl episode would be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just go listen to it. Well, actually, I mean, I don't need to go through all of it, but I mean, at the time that I did the Cannon Brawl episode, I wasn't doing any board game stuff, and I think no, like no. I don't know, talking to you about that stuff, honestly, and like talking to some of my other friends, like I just got so excited about it and then i ended up since since we've talked i did the uh, ascension vr um which is the ascension board game that's got a really popular mobile app already made by um, yeah you and i were gonna play that then my, my, my ipad died and then it all went horrible <laughs> so yeah but um no ascension is a fantastic game i've uh even though there, there, there are times when i'm going you know what i'm just gonna go all out military which you and i know is a bad idea but and like <laughs> but all these red cards keep on coming up for those of you who don't know the game Ascension, you really should check it out. It's awesome. But there's loads of monsters. There's two, well, that's not strictly two, there's two resources, but there's, well, there kind of is two resources. 
on the base game. And uh, there's, you know, you just have, you know, either um, mana, if you will, or crystals, or or all the all the weapons. And and I just went all out military. And I, I one game, I just won like that. It was it was embarrassing. <laughs> stupid, stupid strategy that no one should adopt. But yeah, but no. Yeah, so, you, so you started playing Ascension, yes. Yeah, so I, I got into Ascension, did the VR version for that, and just really fell in love with making um, like the, the digitalized board games so that I can play them whenever I, um, you know, even if you don't have someone who's hanging out with you in person, like, uh, you know, physical board games are wonderful, but there can be the constraint that you might not be able to have someone who knows the game or is willing to play the game with you. And so getting these games paired up with an AI, like Keldon's, um, was really exciting to me because I just want to be able to play. <laughs> I play these games every single day, and now I can I can start playing my, some of my favorite ones. So that's how I start started getting over to the board game side of things, and yeah. actually connected with Keldon, um, which the whole thing is kind of crazy. But I've been playing with Keldon's AI and Keldon's um, client that he made uh, for ages, and it wasn't until I kind of like. Um, got connected with Tom Lehman, who designed a uh, race for the galaxy that he suggested that I work with Keldon to, to get this um, mobile port going. And that was just like a dream country because it's like, Oh, I'm so already so impressed. Like Keldon stuff, I would say is like renowned as like the top digital AI, like board game AI out there period. And just getting a chance to work together has been like ridiculous. So I mean, oh, the, yeah. the whole video thanks game. For, thanks for those words. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> yeah. Sure it's well deserved. Sure it's well deserved. Um, the whole video game, board game environment is in a very strange place right now. Um, in a good place, though. Let me, for example, the Dark Souls board game. That's right, the Dark Souls board game arrives this week. What the hell? You know, it's like all of a sudden video games, which is not the first time, but now this is a very different scenario where you had board game developers and designers working very closely with video game developers making games based on their video games. Um, and uh, and to, to have... Um, and also there's there's game board games now that have um, single-player forms like Scythe. Now, Scythe is a very popular board game, uh, listeners, if you're not familiar. And it has a separate mode, even a separate set of cards, where you actually play it on your own. Uh, Mage Knight also played on your own. Um, there's, you know, there's even a, uh, a, a, a card game which says single deck dungeon, where you play it on your own. So there's obviously something going on. People understanding that they can create AI-like um, systems within a tabletop environment, which seems a bit odd. But to someone like Keldon, it probably isn't at all. It makes perfect sense. Um, but um, what, what, do, what do you two make of, of this crossover? You, obviously, you're part of it. What do you make of this, um, this, this meshing of these two very, very different in, uh, gaming environments? Well, I, I think that there's a couple things happening. Like one is, I think that there's been a renaissance of people bonding over like physical like you like you have with your group like these physical in-person board game experiences which open up a social experience for people who don't know each other very well or people who know each other really well but don't always have something new to say to each other like board games offer this like amazingly wide um sort of like social interaction space yes. and i think people have 
people have gotten very accustomed and and fallen in love with that interaction. And then that paired with the emergence of Unity and Steam as a self-publishing tool, there are just so many games coming out right now. I think the the like players get a little overwhelmed. So when you have an IP that's familiar, you've already invested in it, um, you can have some of that recreation of that really like wonderful social interaction space. And then on top of that, you can have something that people can gravitate towards because they they know that it's not just going to be some like, you know, th- there's there's such a wide range of quality level um, games that are coming out right now. And I think there's a lot of burden on players to figure out what's what. And so like bringing some of these really well renowned games um, into the digital space is making sense right now. Yeah. Yeah, we've had a developer who uh, managed to transfer La Havre onto a, you know, a digital platform, which is, you know, ridiculous. Like, why would you? That game's insane to, to make it a digital platform. It's like, well, it did that then. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's no mean feat. It really isn't. And there's aspects to it, which we'll delve into later on in this show, about uh, the complexities of, chain, of uh, taking a very analogue game like Race for the Galaxy and turn it into a digital platform, and indeed having a single-player component, because you could have just turned around and said, oh, there isn't any. You know, you could have done that, and you would have every right to do that. And there is, of course, there's a multiplayer aspect to the game, but you could have just turned around and said, actually, Keldon, we don't need you for this one, and we'd be all right, thanks. (laughs) Um, um, Yeah, but I think a lot of people, you know, when they take their iPad on an airplane or something where they don't, you know, have an internet connection, it's, you know, it's... Well, it's nice to have something that you can, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not. It's right. Don't go and take me wrong. Uh, I, I, no, of course you'd have an AI because, and you're right. It's, well, it's been. Uh, I, yeah, I think I think a lot of you know people do put you know AIs in there. I, I think you know not necessarily you know lots of effort into it, but mm, uh, no. you know, I think it's always worth having some sort of single player option. Yes. Well, and and race is particularly suited for it. I mean, out of all the board games, there's there's actually like kind of a, a ton of board games coming to digital right now, and I'm I love that. Like I'm gonna play all of them, and I love them. But I think race has a unique design in that um, it doesn't like there there are a lot of games where there will be like um, a social component, like you know, with bluffing or something like that. And that's a that's a game where you really want to be able to have a human human interaction because you need to be able to read people's tells. Yes. You know, and so like sometimes some of these board games are getting ported to digital and I I would say that some of them don't make as well as good of a, a single player experience because they maybe have some of these dependencies on the human to human interaction and, and race you know, you could argue, I suppose, that you could you could argue that okay, I'm going to look at my opponent and kind of like gauge their body language and see if they're going to settle this round or something. But I think there's there's so much that you can tell from the board layout that um, that th- the game is it, it's really strong without that. And I would say out of all the games, it's it's got I don't know, it's just got such a fantastic single player experience. It makes so much sense. Yeah, yeah, but we are rushing ahead of ourselves. Um, <laughs> And I'm going to ask you the next question now because um, this one's a bit of a tricky one because it's about you as creators. And Teresa's already asked this, answered this before, of course, in the Cannonball uh, show. But I think you can answer it in, in this context because um, I'm asking the question, as a creator uh, of things, and you have created a thing, what do you think has influenced you the most? And I think I know the answer to that, but... You, 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 uh, I don't want to put words into your mouth. What do you believe is influences you specifically 
in this particular project? What has influenced you the most? Um, okay, I guess I can I can start. Um, so, um, when I was reading up on you know neural networks and the kind of technology that you know, I was I was using for this stuff, I, I ran across a, an academic paper by uh, some guy from IBM. I, I'll probably butcher his name, you know, Tassaro or something. Uh, and he did um, an AI for backgammon, which you know is a game that's been around for thousands of years. And um, you know, and I, I kind of based the architecture of, of the race AI, I, you know, on it um, with some you know, with some extensions for, you know, multiplayer and stuff, because back game, it's a two-player game. But uh, one of the things he you know, mentioned in the paper is at the end is that, um, you know, the, I guess the backgammon pro community, you know, I guess such a thing exists, you know, has kind of uh, come up with, you know, accepted openings for each, you know, for the first turn, you know, you roll the dice and, you know, you'll make certain moves. And um, the his, his AI had come up with a, you know, a, a different, different opening from the accepted ones for, you know, some certain die roll. And, uh, you know, after some looking at this, the, you know, the, the pro community finally, you know, accept, decided, hey, we've been, we've been wrong for thousands of years. And this, you know, AI has found a, you know, a better way to do this, do this opening. And so, uh, you know, I, I'd like to have that kind of, uh, you know, that kind of impact on, on other games, you know, just find, you know, have, have an AI that, you know, through, you know, self-learning and it's kind of uh you know that can uh you know learn about the game and then teach us something about the game that we didn't already know um it's very, it's very war games like that isn't it the best thing to play nuclear war is not to play at all um sure sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a little bit of yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully hopefully you know the eyes won't get quite that uh no. <laughs> sorry to go sorry to time go. soon no, yeah thanks thanks donald <laughs> um but yeah it's um it's 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 quite sobering, but no, that's a wonderful response to say that you're influenced by the desire to um, to uh, really look at games in another angle and say, you know what, all this stuff you've been doing for, for like you say, for millennia is actually wrong, right. and that's amazing. Um, for for and backgammon's a very very simple game, actually, um, but some of yes, some, yeah. some of the best games are very simple. Um, and, and uh, although I'm not a big fan of chess, the problem with my, me and chess, so I take a drink, everyone. I'm about to rant about chess <laughs> again, but uh, the uh, thing about chess is there's two patterns that fight each other, and it's so obviously two patterns. It's like whoever's got the best pattern, it's <laughs> yeah. gonna win, isn't it? So it's just bot- yeah. Back game is nice because it has the the random element of the dice, so you know, each game is gonna be it's gonna be different, exactly. Right? Yeah, which yeah. many people balk against, but I do not. Um, what about you, Teresa? Oh, um, I mean, to be honest, for for this specific one, yes. this was just mostly inspired by I really wanted this game to exist. <laughs> I really wanted this to exist on my phone because I go on Skype with my sister or my friends, and we'll 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 play this game on our computers. But it it's something we want to have, you know, and it didn't exist, and so we just thought, okay, we should make it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's this and uh, there's a few others as well. I don't want to disservice your your game, but you know I think Seven Wonders would work reasonably well. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, yeah. my my board game group uses um, a variant of Seven Wonders. Some of you are familiar with it, but it's um, the team Seven Wonders. So you have two people per city, and they actually oh. pair of them. You pair of you um, sit together and go. Don't take that one. 
keep that one. <laughs> keep oh. that one. Then pass that card on. And it's just like, do you have 14 people sometimes sitting around the table trying to play team? Wow. Team, uh, team, team. It's an amazing thing. Look it up. It's a, it's an official thing to play team. Uh, oh, that sounds so fun. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's because you you actually have collectively you're ruling this state. So rather than just one, you have a, like a, an advisor, you know. <laughs> you just have the pair of you yelling at each other, going, no, we need science. No, we don't. We don't need science. He's taking science. Sorry, they're taking science. We can just abandon that and go for military. No, I'll win some military. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. That sounds really tricky, actually, because I feel like you want to be really quiet about yeah, you what wanna... your draft choice is going to be because yeah. you don't want to give it away and let someone know you're going to go military and have them downdraft military or something like that. In, in Indeed. Right. So it's. Do you have to get a secret code going? We, we, with like well, nose touch, ear pull. Well, what, have, what happens? You pick up, pick up the cards, and you just walk away from the table, and you sort of have a conversation, <laughs> and you walk back again. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a bit convoluted, but this is the way it's done. So you get your exercise in too. You do, <sighs> yeah. At least you're not sitting for hours on end. Um, but no, highly recommend it if you can do it. If you convince people, if you go board game geek, it's an official variant. Like, yes, you can do this. So it's it's really quite fun, um, and it's the way we'd prefer to play it now because otherwise it becomes a mechanical oh maths, <laughs> which is what which is what is unfortunately lets uh, lets that game down. It's just oh look probabilities and maths excellent, and uh, but uh, when you have a, another person influencing that, it changes the whole game entirely. Apparently, don't know how, but it does. Okay, well, it's fantastic answers uh, to be driven. So Teresa's answer is, I just want this game on, on, on the internet or on a computer, for God's sake. So that's great. And whereas uh, Keldon just wants to actually break the system and go, look, how about this? And the, because you're exploiting the fact you've got a computer who never tires of doing comp- comp- computations. Right, yeah. I mean, they play thousands of games, you know, overnight to, you know, against itself to, to, to learn. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can learn a lot in a few thousand games. Yes, exactly. So whereas most people just really really tolerate that. Um, so no. that's you know, computers don't get bored. That's that's the key. So next question: What developer in the industry do you admire most, and why? Um, well, can I can. I can. Now, so. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's true. Eric Lang, oh, yay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> for example. I'm still super... I admire George Fan, who made Plants vs. Zombies. I think he just has a really keen sense of design. You know, design that the the visuals are going to, like, inform the player on what the functionality is going to do and still feel, like, unique, not like every other game. Okay. Um, okay. And he's he's making a new game, uh, Octagon, so I'm super cool. excited for that to come out. All right. What about you, Kilden? Who do you most uh, yeah, tip your hat to um, and go, keep doing what you're doing, please? That'd be awesome. Yeah, well, lately I've been playing a lot of Factorio, so oh. um, the the developer at Woob, I think is the name, um, yeah, they have a, just a real fantastic attention to detail. Um, they, you know, they have, you know, they talk about this in their, they, they have a weekly blog where they talk about, you know, their development stuff, and they have, you know, all sorts of automated testing, and they, um, you know, they... They're, they're, you know, the Factorio is still, I guess it's still in early access, but it still has, you know, it's, uh, it has amazing attention to detail and everything, you know, the quality of life things are, you know, it seems to get better, better and better with each release. And they, they communicate well with their fans, which is, you know, something that, uh, 
something I appreciate. With a game I, I don't like that though, it's kind of needed it myself, because but... you know to to build to for for the, it's such so many variants. It could it could quite you know the player base could quite easily destroy it. So, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But you're right. Yeah, communication is important uh, with with the, and you're going to have to do that when uh, when Race of Galaxy is released into the wild. If you're not already, of course you are. You're you're having it beta tested as we as we're speaking right now. But eventually it's going to be released. At which point the the the, the denizens of Board Game Geek will be descending upon it at great speed. <laughs> yeah, that thread on Yeah, that thread on BGG with just the beta feedback is you know it seems like it's always got five new replies every time I check so yeah it, uh, yeah yeah and we've, we've got reddit going and uh and you know of course we've got our website so yes yes and and uh yeah it's um exciting times but before we go on to that it's like last question of the first half I know we're almost there halfway there well done <laughs> you're doing great um is this is a question I legally have to ask because we're talking about video games on a podcast. Therefore, I have to ask this question: What are you playing right now? Um, well, I just said Factorio, so that's that's, that's actually been that's a bulk of it. I play that with my with my wife and son. Okay. Um, so that's that's a great time. Um, so for, for the uninitiated, uh, I mean, we, we, you and I are obviously familiar with the game, but could you? Oh, sure. Could you expand on what it is? Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of a survival game. You're dumped on this planet, and you you know you have to mine iron and uh, coal and copper and you know other resources. But um, I mean, the main point of it is to kind of automate you know the construction of this stuff into machines that will build you know your transport belts and your arms that pick the stuff off off the belts, and you know eventually automate the making of the automation factories, and you you know automate the you know this and that. And so it's kind of a you know sandbox building you know this bigger and bigger factory that you know, makes more and more pollution and annoys the the kind of insect-like, you know, natives on the planet that come attack you, so you then automated some, you know, gun turrets and other, you know, defenses. So it's a game about, you know, just creating this automated system to to make more, you know, you make this factory to make more factory. And, I, you know, I guess that's the, <laughs> that's the sense of it. But, yeah, it's uh, I enjoy it a lot. Yes, yeah, some games have been very good at making those building games, as I call them. Some not so great, uh, and it's 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 hard to get that balance right. Of you know, because what I've found when I've played some, it's like, oh, do I have to do this now? It's just you know, it's just, you, get, you get a sea of icons. You know that there's like a wash. Yeah, right. And like I don't, yeah. I really don't. It's just, and uh, it's it's easy for the developer. Like, well, it's easy. You just click on that. We don't know that. You just you just presented me with a wash of icons, and I, I they're really small as well. I have no idea why. Is that good? Yes. Is that one good? I don't know. Find out. No, I don't want to find out. Is it any good? You know, it's it's, it's, it's um, it, that's what I find with them. Is and uh, it's the best ones are the ones and uh, are the ones that gently ease you into that and gently build that that library up to the point where you can you know by the time it gets to that sea of icons you know what they mean um but uh, i just uh, i balk at it when they just present it to you right early on like don't do that because you don't don't present that amount of choice to a new player no idea what they're just sit there going analysis prices like i have no idea and that's all of that's going to be wrong isn't it i just i don't know that looks that looks like fun. Is it? Oh no, I'm dead. It's just <laughs> so um, okay. 
Uh, what about you, Teresa? What are you playing? Um, I've uh, been diving into a ton of indie games lately, and I'm in love with Slime Rancher. <laughs> it's like this Slime really. Rancher. I don't know if you've seen it. Okay. <laughs> what is this? Yeah, I've heard of it's this. Like, yeah. Oh, it's this awesome game where you have this kind of uh, vacuum, like this apparatus. It's like a gun, but it also has like a vacuum um, functionality. And so you're like, you're going out into this world and you're finding these little like slime things and collecting them but then you can like shoot them out and combo them at each other like shoot them into each other and create new different kinds of slimes and they all have different functionalities and it's just like really joyful and stupid and it's like really impressive for an indie game so I've, I've been loving that okay I mean, we did have a show, uh, a show where we featured a, a game called Slime Sun, um which is about you play a piece of slime and it's uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool I will check it out. If you like slime, you go with that. It's a great, awesome platformer. Uh, it's beautifully... And they've basically gone against the design concept of less is more. They've said, no. <laughs> 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 hey, just seriously, just have a go. Um, and listen to the show as well. The developer's awesome. But it's just... Oh, I played this at PAX East. It was just the funniest thing as ever. I was going to start... It's just like... Everything you know about game design, and they went no. <laughs> <laughs> they they just they embraced the concept of feature creep and went. This is a thing. This is a feature. Like no, please don't. <laughs> you can even play. You can even play pong in it. I'm not kidding. Um, yeah, there are those games where you're like nobody ever said no on this yeah. team. No, they just yeah. went with everything. <laughs> it just oh, but the way he's done it, it's just exquisite. But anything else? Oh, well, I, you know, I've also been diving into like a bunch of like really solid uh, mobile board game ports just to get inspired, like um, the Lords of Waterdeep and Agricola and things like that, um, just to, you know, see what features people are doing uh, because this is our first uh, mobile board game port. And so you can just play forever. That's the great thing about the board games um, when you make them digital. Like they're already designed to be played over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, I think some games, some video games, you know, especially if it's something like narrative driven or something like that, it's really can be more of like a, a single experience or you try it a few times and move on to the next thing. Yeah. But some of these classics, they're just so replayable. Yeah, it's. Um, I played Lords of Water Deep, um, the and the analog version, not the the digital version, mm-hmm. recently, and I know that game so well that you know my. I, I actually won because I had the uh, Lord, um, the, there's the Builder. So, the Building Lord, yeah. yeah. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I got that, I went, okay, that's easy. Yeah. So I slid, slid that underneath the card and, and the first thing, so what are you doing, Chris? Pop, Builder. And as soon as I did that, the other player went, oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, and I sat there going, what are you talking about? All I'm trying to do is make the board more interesting. <laughs> And I had eight buildings at the end. It's like because you maximum you can have is nine. And I had eight of them. No. Like really? And he sat there going, "Really?" Because like I said, interesting, isn't it? More interesting now. Look, look at all these choices. Don't, don't stop it. Just stop it. And then I got you know forty eight points at the end of it. So <laughs> it's well, that, that, I've that, seen that. the builder lose, and I think the yes. interesting thing is the builder can lose if you're playing with really inexperienced players who don't who don't compete for landing on the building spots. Um, and so they're all willing to sort of like not go on the building spot 
maybe because it's unfamiliar and they're just grap- grasping the game. So a new spot, yeah. they don't want to deal with it or whatever. And that will actually penalize. So, so you, if you're the builder lord, it's balanced if you're playing with new players, maybe. Well, I, d- I did this combo action. I had right at the beginning, I had a piety quest where basically every time I scored a piety quest, I got two extra points. So that mm. gave me some focus. So I went, oh, okay. I'll just I'll just do all the piety quests then. That'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so I did that combo action. It was like really, yeah. And the other. I don't even have there. to ask how that went for you. I, I already know the answer. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> I, I scored 170 odd points. It was disgusting. It was disgusting. <laughs> you know, I was sitting there going, I'm almost get to 200. Let's stop it. <laughs> 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 you know, they didn't flip the table over because we were in good spirits and we'd we'd played a game previously called Lords of Rock, which is a very silly um, card game. It's very, very funny. Uh, and uh, the Gods of Rock, I think, the Gods of Rock. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, but, no, I, I, I agree. The digital... I, I particularly like um, uh, Agricola because that game... Yeah. The digital version of Agricola has taught me so, so much about how best to play it because I... yeah. Yeah, well, I've never played Agricola that many times, you know, on the table because it, you know, it, it's it's a commitment. So, hey, yeah, having a a digital version would be great for just learning how to play. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, similar. How to, how to play well, I guess. That's what I'm getting at. I knew how to play the yeah. game, but I was profoundly bad right. at it because um, it got to a point where I went, I think I'll have a pig. Why? Well, you know, spider pig, spider pig. What? <laughs> Well, you're the pet pig. No, you don't. Yes, yes, I do. That was that was my level of strategy with Agricola was need a pig for you know <laughs> for the spider pig joke. That was it. Oh. That was how bad I was at, at Agricola. Um, I'm much better at it now. And similarly, Terra Mystica is coming uh, across. Oh yeah, and that's very yeah. exciting. I think it's already out. I don't know. I have to check. Uh, but I, yeah, Terra Mystica. I think it. I think it. I think it is out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, that's a game. <laughs> I remember first playing that, almost getting from the table. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this. My brain just can't do this. But, yeah, the uh, first time I played Terra Mystica, I, uh, by the end of the first round, I, I knew I had lost. And yeah. that was <laughs> and that was, that was just, a, a long game of Terra Mystica to sit through. So. Someone didn't actually yeah. explain to me the, the, the shovel thing when you did terraforming, because I thought we could only go clockwise. No one told me otherwise. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah they see that there. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot. But I thought, oh, I'm going to go clockwise. <laughs> I think that's like the cool thing about Agricola and, and will be with, I'm sure with Terra Mystica is like, so if I, if I'm playing and I have a bunch of new cards I'm unfamiliar with for uh, Agricola, at least like, I feel like the analysis paralysis in Agricola can get really high and you don't want to make everyone wait for you, but that's why the like digital version is so nice. You can really think through all the stuff and you don't have that like pressure of someone getting bored as you're, you know, making your decision and fam- familiarizing. So you can play a bunch of games against the AI and like really get to know the what what the cards and what's interesting about them and what they do together, and then go and use that knowledge with other people and not have to spend, you know, a ton of time thinking about it. Yeah, and the setup Frontier Mystico will be the same. Yeah, and the setup time's way easier. I mean, there's a, oh, yeah. there's a game yeah. I call uh, which probably will never arrive on digital format. It's called uh, Millennium Blades. Have you heard of this game at all? I'm surprised if you haven't. It's quite- I've heard of it, but I don't think I know anything about it. Okay. Well, Millennium Blades is an extraordinary game. It's a game about a game about a game. So it's a it's a simulation of a CCG, and that same CCG has tournaments in it, and then you simulate buying cards for this CCG, and then buying using those cards to play in tournaments. <laughs> and it's all contained in one box. 
Wow. You don't actually go out and buy any of these. It's um, it's they're simulations. They're not actual real CCGs. Look it up. Look it up. You really actually professionally you need to look it up. It's amazing. <laughs> but the problem is the setup of this thing takes about oh god, because you have to have all the separate collections. You have to have the you have to have the promo decks and you have the base decks. Oh god, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But the setup is torture. <laughs> Well, I actually bought a card shuffler specifically because I had all the expansions for Race for the Galaxy, and I my hand I have so many problems with my hands from typing, so I like couldn't shuffle all the cards. Like I just couldn't. I had to buy this thing. Three inches thick. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We always have to divide it it up. You know, you you shuffle this quarter, and you know. Yeah. And uh, try to yeah. mix it all together at the end. Playing the analog version of Ascension, Teresa and I know this is a very bad idea. Well, it's not. <laughs> it's great, but the deck can be. We could have a ski slope at the top of it. Sometimes it gets that tall. It's absurd. So you know, unless you're very careful about which modules you put into, because it's a modular game now. Ascension is a very modular, has modular expansions to it. You don't put all of them in because that's stupid. Because otherwise, you have a deck the size of you know, it's just ridiculous. It's, mm. So you you have to be. But you're right. You have to. It gets so ridiculous that you have to pass decks around for them to shuffle, and then you. You know, so, uh, Millennium Blade suffers from the same thing. You have this pile of cards that are a bit, you know, it's a good half a foot high. You know? It's just, it's just ridiculous. Yep. You know, and what's, well, you know, yeah. I think one thing that happens too is like once, so if you love a game, you're likely to buy an expansion because you're like, okay, that was such a good investment. I got so much value out of it. I'm yes. going to buy the expansion both to support the developer and also to like have more game to play. But at some point there's, I think this tipping point, I've had this with Dominion and a bunch of games that I have where I have like every expansion that they make because I love the games. But then I get to this point where I stop playing it because I feel like, well, I couldn't possibly take out all 10 boxes you know, because that would just take forever. Yes. But then I don't want to like bring myself to play with a subset of content because that yeah. feels lame. And then I just kind of like don't play the game, and it's yeah. terrible. And the digital stuff does kind of solve that because it's it just does. as simple as checking a checkbox. You know, I am really looking forward to playing Race for the Galaxy at, at, in lines at PAX. It's going to be great because um, uh, that's what's going to happen, uh, whether they like it or not. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. It happened with Eclipse. Uh, Eclipse is a game I played. Uh, uh, on, on in lines at the Eurogamer and stuff, we just sit there and play Eclipse against each other, which is a great game. Uh, but uh, my, my analog version of Eclipse uh, has an egg timer in it because I don't let people have any more than three minutes to take their turn because I don't want to <laughs> sit. I don't want to sit there for nine hours. Not going to happen. <laughs> slam it in front of you. You got three minutes. What? You had three minutes to take your turn. Any longer than that, you have to stop. What? Sorry. I'm not going to sit here. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I'm not being rude, but I'm just like, well, I am. But it's just, it's just, just, you know, analysis paralysis in games. I don't want to have to get up and make a cup of tea and finish said cup of tea waiting for someone to make their turn. It's just not right. So, excellent responses to the last question. We're now moving on to the second half of the show, the, the very meat and core of the show, where we're going deep find out what is race for the galaxy
So, we've been talking about it, but to the uninitiated listener, what on earth is Race for the Galaxy? I know what I know what it uh, is, but what do you two think it is? I would describe it as um, a phase-choosing game where you're building out an empire um, in space and you're settling planets, developing technologies, and um, essentially trying to um, build out an empire that has the most points before anyone else, um, the fastest. And um, there's some neat so there's some neat different kinds of strategies you can take. Um, so you can either simply build things out and trigger the game's end by building up to 12 um, settlements and tech, uh, developments in your tableau. Or um, you can focus in on a victory point engine by building out production worlds and doing consume trade um, or consume double victory point to get points. Um, or you can uh, go with a military strategy. And there's, there's different strategies in between. Um, and at the end of the game, you just figure out how many points um, everyone has and whoever has the most wins. Okay. Um, Keldon, is that how you uh, understand it? Yeah, I would, um, I would take the, the race in the title um, quite literally. It's, uh, I mean, if to, to play well anyway, you have to, uh, you, know, you want to force the end of the game you know, as quickly as possible. And you know, generally, I mean, the person who's ending the game is going to win because they've taken all the victory point chips or they've built out you know, a full twelve cards, and you know, we'll have lots of points in that. So most of the time, not yeah. all the time, not all the time, not, not all the time. But yeah, but uh, yeah, um, yeah if so you're forcing the game, you're you're probably doing well. Yeah. So yeah, the yeah, the race is uh is an important thing to to keep in mind. Yeah, side suffers from that. Oh look, I finished the game. Oh damn it! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> damn it! What have I done? Was supposed to do that. This happened to be a race of galaxy. Actually, I was supposed to end it. Damn it! I forgot it's twelve. Damn it! <laughs> You've got 12. I know, shut up. I'm an idiot. Um, I've always found it to be a bit of a trick-pulling game. You may disagree. Um, Tichu's a bit, you know, well, Tichu is just based on tricks. But there are card combinations which are exquisite, provided you can line them up and no one else can spot that you're lining them up. Um, that's that's the trick. Um, but let's uh, let's go on to first detailed questions so the first question really wasn't a question it was basically me giving you the idea of giving you an opportunity to pitch the game to the listener the symbols on the cards of which there are many let's face it um are really quite core to race of the galaxy how do you believe you've managed to highlight this in a digital version and how have you allowed you to have you assisted with their translation to the player, the fact that it's a digital version of the game? You do know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. So you like, um, basically, listeners, the, the iconography, the little icons, there's lots of them. Uh, once you know the game very well, they've become second nature, but initially they are quite daunting. So I'd just like you to tell me how have you managed to ease that into the player's um, lexicon, if you will. Right. So, uh, so, so, like I said, when you're playing the game, it's all about choosing phases, and you're you're choosing phases um, to optimally benefit yourself. So, whenever you choose a phase, 
everyone gets to execute that phase if it was chosen, you get a little benefit. So you want to you want to say do a phase that you have the most resources to execute and maybe other players don't have as many resources, maybe they don't have as many cards in their hand or goods to trade or things like that. And you're going to determine that by looking at um, the icons that you have in on the cards in your tableau, your settlements and your developments. And there are um, sort of five rows. I think there's five. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. There's actually there's six. six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's six rows of uh, phases on each card. And then within those phases, there may be an icon next to the phase, which will indicate um, a power that will activate if that phase is chosen. Um, and because of this, uh, there are a lot of icons in the game. And so in the digital version, we allow a bunch of different kinds of zooming um, so that you can inspect the card similar to, you know, Ascension or uh, Lords of Waterdeep where you would double tap or, or um, press and hold on a card to zoom in and be able to like uh, kind of inspect and digest the iconography a little bit better. And then additionally on every card, we do the full text of the description of what each icon means because I think that um, to advanced players they really don't need to read that but to new players they might want that detailed description yes um because as a key component of the game experience there's these, these phases as you explained and uh the phases are determined by the player not by the game so you don't go oh we're now on to this phase oh now we're on to this no it's determined by the players <laughs> Similar to Twilight Imperium, if you've played Twilight Imperium, and, and some people, many people have played that game, and they have suffered through 10 hours of it and realised that, oh god, I, I just wasted my time. No, not true. It's not a bad game, it's just a bit long. Um, unless, you don't know, unless you know what you're doing. The thing about that is that you're competing about that. Like You, you want to, I mean, the, the phases, one of them is basically settle. You want to settle a planet. And by settling a planet or colonising a planet, you're then triggering its ability later on if it's in front of you, if you triggered it, if you've legally triggered it. Legally being that everything has a cost to it. The cost being the other cards in your hand. <laughs> so how do you, this is my next question really, how do you, do, do, do you think... Uh, you've managed to um, give the ability to the player to, in the, in the design of the game, to give the ability to the player to identify what is of no use to them and um, versus what is quite useful. Um, well, so there's there's two potential currencies that you can use to spend on cards. So you have the cards themselves. Yes. So you're always making the decision um, when you're going to be placing a card into your tableau or your empire, um, which cards do I want to keep because I'm going to play them into my empire later and which are am I, am I going to throw away just as simply as currency? So if a card says it costs three, you have to choose basically three cards to spend. But the other currency you have available to you is military. So some cards cost military power, um, in which case that's a currency you simply build out and um, it accumulates and you don't actually end up spending it as much as you just have the ability to um, build any card. Like let's say you have three total military in your tableau. Now you can build any military card up to three costs at any settlement phase for free. Um, and what we've done UX-wise to kind of clarify that is we have um, your total military tab tally that gets digitally um, processed in real time as you play the game, which is really nice because you don't have to like figure it out in, mm. in your head as you go. Mm. And then additionally, if you click on it, you get a breakdown because you might have specialized military towards something like a alien planet or you might have temporary military that's only going to last this turn. Um, so we, we have like a little tool tip that if you want to inspect 
your military, you can do that better. And then if you're spending cards, we will put a glow, which is kind of standard UX um, these days for digital board games. We put a glow around all the cards that you have available to spend as your currency so that the game really prompts you along like um, for for what currency you can use and then you can make the decision on which specific cards you're going to trash. Yeah, because that's the thing about video game versions or digital versions of these board games is you can you can change the, the cards themselves or make them do things that in the real, real, real world you can't do. Like you say, splash a card with lots of glowiness around it. You can't do that. Well, you can't. Not easily anyway. Um, so you've exploited that, but not to the point where it becomes a little bit odd, right? Uh, I hope not. <laughs> no, no. Um, next question is, um, are all the expansions going to be available for Race for the Galaxy digital version? And how has that impacted for you, um, Keldon and the design of the AI. So it's a two-part question: Are the expansions going to be available, and how has that impacted on the design of the single-player experience? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Teresa get that first part. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, so we're we're launching um, uh, with Rebel versus Imperium and the uh, the um, oh my gosh, I'm blinking. Gather, Gathering Storm. Gathering Storm, Storm yeah. expansions. Yeah. Um, Rich Keldon already did a great AI for, and those are available um, at release. And then we also have a promo pack of six extra starter planets. And then we plan to do the rest of the expansions. Um, we're going to roll them out um, in the future, but we don't have launch dates for all of them. Okay. Okay. This, this, this is a question that I've been asked um, by uh, enthusiasts for the analog version. Oh. And they said, oh, I love that expansion. Okay, well, I'll, ask. I'll ask the question. But... So that's thank you for that, Teresa. I already knew the answer, but I wanted you to hear from the horse's mouth, so they say. But so Keldon, how has that impacted your your input? Do you find that some expansions are how to how can I put it delicately breaking the game a little bit more, or do they improve things? How has that impacted your uh, your work? Um, well, they've certainly all have changed the game, and uh, in fact, the AI kind of learns each expansion completely separately and you know from each other so that um because i mean the the game is is different uh you know the base game is different once you add you know from from an expansion or two or or up to three once you have you know the first three expansions all together mm-hmm. um you know in the base game you know a you know military is relatively weak compared to uh, you know the produce and consume kind of engine um but you know after Say the first two or three expansions, they, the military is certainly stronger, so the AI has to, you know, learn that separately to learn, you know, the the, the strengths of you know a military uh, tableau versus you know produce consume, um, and you know other expansions add you know some uh, some extra um, you know features to the game. You know, the prestige in the third expansion is is quite different, and the AI has to um, you know handle that and handle you know this new currency that you can you know gain and spend um so um i mean i want to say that any of them have, have broken the game um but you know they do each expansion that does add you know extra training time because i'm you know have to have the the eye you know trained again for you know each kind of different uh, you know variant of the game that kind of you know exists i mean they're not really variants but you know each each expansion level um Last question I've got. Uh, all good things come to an end. But um, the, the key to um, key to Race for the Galaxy, I believe, is making sure that 
cards work with each other in the most optimum way within the shortest time possible. Yes? Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I think, um, I think the most important skill to learn is, uh, is to kind of make do with what you've got. I mean, you, you know, you might have the start to a great military empire, but if you don't draw any, you know, military cards, you're kind of, you're kind of in trouble. So you've got to, you know, be, be flexible and, you know, deal with the cards you do draw and make sure that, you know, you, you know, hopefully they'll work with what you've already got, but if not, you need to be able to go in a new direction. Um, otherwise you're just drawing lots of cards and, and, and hoping, um, so, yeah, yeah I, think, I totally agree. Like, I think you can get really greedy. You can you can have all these fantastic cards, and you don't want to let any of them go. And you can also really get set in your ways. And every time I play against the AI and it beats me, I'm I like to see what did it do. And it's it's always <laughs> it's so interesting. Like the AI really does jump around a lot more than you would think. And I feel like you know I'm really satisfied when my you know blue weenie blue weenie empire is like you know all every planet is blue and every you know every every um, six point development is giving me points for my blue planets. But the AI have so much more flexibility. And I think if you can get out of that headspace of having to have a particular end game, you're you're going to do a lot better. But we like patterns. I mean, I know. The, the thing yeah. is, the, the, the question I was coming up with is um, that wasn't a question. I was just actually asking you this is the, how I've interpreted the game personally after years of playing it. Was have you ever considered? And you may go, "This is a bad idea, Chris." But why didn't you? Maybe I should say, consider actually when a card is about to be played, whether it's settlement or production. Um, you've you highlighted cards where. You say you really don't want to discard that, or you know this is a bad odds. Basically, having uh, the um, the 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 game highlight to you what would be probably the best thing. Just a suggestion, you know, like maybe you don't want to get rid of that. That's kind of you know you're probably going to need that later, or that's that's there's, there, there is a logical link. There is numerical links between each card. Otherwise, the game doesn't work at all. Have you considered um, doing that in any way, like giving player aids, basically? We've gotten a lot of requests in different forms for that. Like, we've gotten requests where the game suggests you don't do a phase. For example, if you want to settle something, but you can't afford any settlement in your hand, that we've gotten requests to kind of, like, you know, dim out the settlement yep. phase choice for you. Or, like you said, um, maybe you don't want to spend a certain card. But I think, for one... You know, this is the interesting space for the player to learn. Like that's why games are fun because you're figuring out systems. So if you if you break down everything for people, then you kind of take away the fun bit. Mm -hmm. But also, um, you know, there is that element of chance. You know, people could draw something. Like let's say um, I did chose, I wanted to choose the settlement phase even though I couldn't afford anything. Well, maybe Kel maybe I'm playing against Kelvin and Kelvin chose the explore phase and that gave me a card in my hand that I could now develop. Like you really can't predict where. Um, a player's hand state is going to be, or a board state is going to be, um, completely at um, at an upcoming phase in the future because there's a lot of different variables that could change it, make things legal, make things illegal, and I think there there's a lot of uh, potential to confuse people. Say something's going to be illegal or not a good idea when actually they could look into something really good um, or the or the opposite. Um, so I think that space gets a little complicated and it seems like it makes sense to just let the players enjoy exploring it on their own. Yeah. That's what I think too, but yeah. I just wanted to ask the question. Yeah. One, um, yeah. I mean, I, I've gotten, you know, I, 
in quotes, bug reports from the AI who, you know, occasionally will choose to, to trade a good, even though they don't have any goods, um, <laughs> you know, in play. Um, <laughs> but what it's doing is that it's, you know, the AI is expecting that somebody else is going to settle and they have a, a, a card in hand that they can then play, which will come with a good, and then they can trade it. And then they kind of get, you know, I mean, they kind of jump around, uh, jump ahead around by, you know, being able to settle and trade that good, you know, all in the same round. Yeah. Um, just by predicting what the other players are, are, are going to do. And, you know, sometimes, you know, nobody picks settle and then the AI looks, you know, you know really dumb. <laughs> but when it does work, you know, it's, it's a great advantage. So, yeah. you know, there's, yeah, I think that kind of, you know, holding the hand, you know, can, can lead the player away from, you know, these kind of, you know, really thoughtful plays. Well, it becomes autom- automatic. You basically, it becomes a clicker, doesn't it? <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah. It's basically what it degenerate into. Um, like no, you don't. You don't want to have it. So the the dumb in thirty commas dumb option is is grayed out. There's no dumb option. It's just an option. That's the whole point of race for the galaxy. That's the that's the beauty of it. That's why it works so well. Because yes, you made that decision and you've been you've been burnt by it. But you'll learn next time, won't you? You know that's how it works. And also conversely. You know, when you lay that card down and go, oh, yes, or, or, or choose that option or choose that phase, that is the optimum phase for that optimum that, that position. And you learn from that too. I mean, people do bang on about learning from one's mistakes, but you also learn a heck of a lot from your successes. Uh, yeah. And uh, people don't talk about that enough, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> 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 I, I don't think all wins are creative equal either. Like no. I, as a player really like winning when I shoot for the moon and I don't mind losing if I shot for the moon and it didn't work, but someone else might be really driven by their player stats where they want to be more conservative yeah. and maintain a, a, a win, um, uh, rate. So, so you don't know what kind of player someone's going to be and you don't want to surface a UI to like ask them what kind of player they're going to be. No. So, yeah. No. Well, Teresa and Kilda, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, I can't thank you enough for, for your time and also for, for your efforts in making uh, what is a very treasured game and putting it into the digital format, which you could have gone you know, either way. But from what I've played so far, and it currently is in beta, everyone, was recording this show, um, it's, it's really amazing what you've done. Uh, and uh, it's made, you know, it's, it's a game right now is you know, lots and lots and lots of cards you've reduced it into something that's much more palatable on a lovely tablet or indeed phone screen if your phone is large enough i guess um but um no um yes thank you very very much uh, it's coming out and like i said an ios and android is that right yes yeah and um i've personally played it on my ios device because i'm a slave to apple but um i, I reasons well, my Galaxy S2 died, and that was that. It was enough. Never again. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, no, uh, it's and it's all simultaneous release, do you think? or? Yes. Yeah, definitely. Oh, excellent. May 3. Oh, well, just before the 4th of... May the 4th. Oh, that rubbish. Uh, <laughs> May the 4th be with you. Bally, bally, bally. Um, but... Uh, yeah, thank you very much for for being on the show. I do wish you the very, very best of luck with it. And uh, Teresa and and and, and uh, Kelvin, you're both welcome to come back on to talk about whatever uh, next venture you've got, and uh, in, in, in for whatever next game you, you you've worked on and released or about to release. All right, thanks for having yeah. us. Yes, thanks a lot.
And so ends another episode of the Sausage Factory. Do leave us an iTunes review. And you can also, don't forget, listen to us on Stitcher.com. So just go to Stitcher.com and you can stream the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me, any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to this show and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the Stablemate podcast, shall we say, of spong.com. Bye! <laughs>